You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Hey man, as you have a seat, I want to let you know it's good to be here this morning. My name is Jason, and uh, I've, over the last few years, become a good friend with Rodney. I planted a church in the Woodlands, which is North Houston, about five years ago, and subsequently we joined up with the Acts 29 church planting network just like Stonegate has. And uh, Rodney and I met through that and uh, have since then been in several different contexts together, uh, all the way from whale watching off the coast of Southern California, uh, which was uh, uh, a trip for sure, to um, we were even trained by an ex-Delta Force agent on how to uh, breach an enemy combatant home. Uh, Has he told you guys about that? Rodney, come on, man. You got to tell them the good stories. Uh, All the way from crazy things like that to uh, sitting around a table with just a few guys as uh, we are led by by a man who's helping us as pastors and as men and as fathers and husbands examine our hearts and and, and, and really grow in the Lord and in maturity and in security and identity with Him. And uh, I've seen uh, both laughter and joy and, and smiles from Rodney over the people of Stonegate and also tears uh, and, and a deep-seated passion to see uh, God move among the people of Stonegate. And I want you to know that in all of the contexts that I've been with Rodney, uh, he, he's the same in all of them. His character is that deep, uh, that what you see is what you get. And uh, it's an honor to stand here where he normally stands and proclaims the gospel to you guys, because I know that the man that I've seen in other contexts is the same man that you get on stage as he preaches the word. And so uh, you've got a good leader, Stonegate. Uh, you should know that. Uh, Like I said, I planted a church in the woodlands five years ago. It's almost a carbon copy looking out here this morning. It's very strange. Even the black curtains uh, are bringing fond memories. Uh, We are a church plant. We meet in a high school gym. Uh, uh, Y'all's place is a little nicer than ours, but uh, my story is a little different. Just several weeks ago, uh, I resigned from the position as lead pastor of Woodlands Point Community Church, a church that I planted in my living room. And so it'd be the equivalent of, of Rodney resigning from... Uh, Stonegates. Uh, a bit of a shock. Um, not because there's anything wrong. The church is great. It's healthy. It's growing. Uh, but one thing you need to know about our church is that a couple years in, uh, God decided, unsolicited on our part, that orphan care was going to be a big deal. For some reason, as a two-year-old church plant with maybe a hundred people at the time, about half of our people uh, began to get involved with foster care and adoption and orphan care. And so it was our responsibility to steward that and to figure out what's God doing here uh, and how can we steward it well and we formed a nonprofit out of that. Uh, And as a result, my heart and our family got caught up in it and our church has continued to as well. Our family now consists of uh, four daughters, Macy, Presley, Darby, and Marley. Marley's the one that I'm holding. We have been fostering to adopt her for uh, almost a year and a half now, and we are in the, in the adoption prep stages with, with her. She's been a recent addition to our family. Several weeks ago, as I resigned from Woodlands Points, I did so uh, to go on board with a new entity that's being formed out of the adoption and foster agency that we've gone through with Marley. Uh, as we focus on church engagement and equipping and mobilizing the church with the theology of adoption and gospel-centered orphan care resources through teaching, writing, and developing different things for churches, church leaders, and pastors all across the country. And so that's a little bit of my story. This is a picture of my family. As one story was being written in our lives, an entirely new story began to be written uh, through the lens of orphan care and adoption and God's heart for the marginalized and the oppressed 
and the orphans. In the context that we're in this morning, we're coming on the heels of a series that you guys have been in as you've looked at the imagery of adoption and how that paints this vivid picture of God's rescuing and redeeming love for us. We've seen how we get, uh, as, a, as a result, we get to call him Father and experience the full rights and privileges of being known and loved as his sons and his daughters. And then finally, in light of God's adoption of us, you've explored the call and the responsibility on all of us to ultimately care for the marginalized and the oppressed and the orphaned in this world, be it through adoption, foster care, providing respite care. Maybe it's simply a community group coming around and helping someone in the church that is bringing a child into their home. On multiple levels, in some way, form, or fashion, all of us are called to respond to the mandate. All of us are called to dream big dreams about what it would look like for a church like Stonegate to really shoot for the stars and aim for the number zero. Let's let our goal be zero. Zero kids in foster care in our community, zero children waiting to be adopted, zero kids in our county, in our city, in our community waiting to be brought into a forever home. Let's let the the goal of Stonegate to ultimately be zero. Let's dream big dreams together, right? Throughout this process, though, we must be fair in your process of discerning how God is calling you to respond. And in fairness, we have to this morning debunk the myth that orphan care is sexy and romantic, because it's not. We have to debunk the myth that, that orphan care is a fairy tale that you, go, you get to wistfully be a part of, because the reality of orphan care is that it's not that. The gospel is not a fairy tale. It's the messy, dirty, chaotic story of Jesus interjecting himself into our brokenness and ultimately experiencing death on the cross so that we might be set free into a new story. And orphan care, just like the gospel, is not a fairy tale. It's the messy but beautiful demonstration of the love of Jesus in action through his people. So today we're going to really focus on the hard reality of where orphan care begins, where it will ultimately take us, what it will inevitably require of us, and how it will most certainly break us. And so this morning we're going to look at four realities of orphan care that we must be willing to embrace. And I want to look at these four realities and I want us to see this vivid expression of the gospel in each of them. How on one hand, here's the reality of the nitty gritty of orphan care, but here's the beautiful reality of how it vividly expresses and demonstrates the gospel. How it's not only sourced by and driven by and sustained by the gospel, but it also paints this beautiful picture of the gospel even in the midst of the brokenness and the mess. And so the first one to look at this morning is this. That of all the realities of orphan care that we must be willing to embrace, the first one is this. We must be willing to lose so that the child may gain. We must be willing to lose ourselves completely so that the child may gain fully. The call is for us to love and accept the costs that orphan care may incur on us as worth it for the gain that the child may receive in the end. We must willingly lose what we have so that a child can gain what they do not yet have but desperately need. This is nothing more than what Jesus has already done for us. In the passage we read earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says of this, this of Jesus, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Elsewhere in the book of Philippians, it it describes Jesus as one who was full of glory, but he emptied himself so that we who were emptied could be filled with his glory. 
And in all of this, we see this consistent picture of Jesus laying down the infinite value of his own life so that we might know the immeasurable worth of being fully loved and accepted by him. Orphan care is this beautiful expression of the gospel, not because it's easy, but because it's difficult. It requires, it demands this selfless, costly, and oftentimes painful love. It requires that we would give all of ourselves so that the child may gain, that we would empty ourselves so that those who are empty might be filled with the beauty of Jesus. In very practical ways, what does this mean? It means it's probably going to cost you money. It means it's probably going to cost you money that right now you think you don't have. But the great thing about the body of Christ rallying around the cause of justice for orphans is that you might not have the money, but somebody else does. And they just need to know that you need it. And they're going to give it to you. It might cost a lot of money. It might cost a lot of comfort for you. It might cost you your picture of what your ideal family looks like. It might cost you the ability to live in Midlothian, Texas like you always have before. It might change everything about it. It might make people look at your family different. It might cause a lot of questions. It might make you go into restaurants and now everybody stares at you because your family looks different. It might cost you a lot. It might cost you your schedule. It might cost you a lot. It will. In very practical terms, this is what it meant for us. When we moved into the home we live in now, uh, we were pregnant with our second daughter. Now we have four, right? And our home is just tight. It's just, we're on top of each other. There's just always something, right? I live with five females. There's always something, right? I'm like, God, I don't need another bedroom or another bathroom. Just give me a bigger garage to go and hide in when these girls get older, right? It might cost us some comfort in our homes. We had to get a bigger car when we brought Marley into our family. For the love of God, we were almost done with diapers. And then we started all over, right? My wife and I realized the other day that um, we will have been married uh, 12 years by the time we're done with diapers in our home. Knock on wood. And we will have, been, uh, we will have had diapers in our home for 10 of the 12 years of our marriage, Right? It might cost you your schedule. It might cost you your plans. And here's two things that it's certainly going to cost you. It's going to cost you this family-centric thinking. And it's going to require you to shift to this gospel-centric thinking. Here's what I mean by that. Orphan care is less about what your family gets, and it's more about what your family must give. Orphan care is less about simply a growth mechanism for your family, Orphan care is more about a giving mechanism of your family. The reality of orphan care is that, yes, you might get a child, but really what you're doing at the end of the day is that you are giving your family to that child. It's less about getting a child for your family. It's more about giving your family to a child. This is gospel-centric thinking. How can we engage this in such a way that the, the center of it all is how can we give, not necessarily what do we get. It's also going to require that we lose our sense of self-righteousness, and it's also going to require that we sacrifice this hero complex that many of us often have in the rescuing of kids. Here's the harsh reality of orphan care. It says that as excited as we are about caring for orphans, they are not excited about being them. They didn't ask for this. 
They didn't ask for the, con- for the situation that they're in. They didn't ask for their story to be written this way. They certainly didn't ask for us to come in and rescue them and be their hero. The harsh reality of orphan care is that as excited as we are about caring for orphans, they are not excited about being them. And orphan care ultimately requires that we abandon our self-righteous motivation. It is more about the help they need, and it is not about my need to help. It is not about my compulsion to help, to feed my self-righteousness so that I can put up on display these trophies of orphans so that people can know how missional and radical I am. It's more about the help they need and less about my need to help. And so number one, we've got to be willing to lose all of ourselves so that in the end a child may gain. Number two, we must be willing for our story, our good, sometimes comfortable story, to be interrupted by a very broken and messed up story. Orphan care is just as much about pulling a child out of a broken story as it is about you being pulled into a broken story. This is exactly what Jesus did for us in the gospel. Look at Matthew chapter one. We celebrate this as beautiful truth at Christmas. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the great joys of our faith is that we get to celebrate that God is not a distant God, but he came and he became a part of our story in the person of Jesus. John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He left his place and he, he brought he brought our story upon himself. Second Corinthians chapter five. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the consistent message of the gospel throughout the entire New Testament. And it's this, is that Jesus interjected himself into our broken story in order to save us and rescue us and redeem us out of it. That he loved us by first engaging with us in our sin. And he took our story upon himself and he made it his own. Orphan care is less about pulling a child out of a broken story and it's more about you being pulled into one. Here's how it worked out for us. Initially going into the foster care and adoption process, our ideas of orphan care were less about the orphan and they were more about us. It was less aware of the story of the orphan and it was more aware of our own story. Here's what I mean. We would pull a child out of a bad story. We would go in and we would rescue a child. We would go in and have the end goal be to to leave a dark story behind and bring a child into a brighter and newer and better one. And then as we began to engage in this process, we found orphan care to be something entirely different and unexpected. That it was less about an awareness of our story and it required and demanded an awareness about hers. Early on in the process, we found ourselves sitting around a deliberation table with the biological mother of Marley, the girl that we are in the process of adopting. CPS caseworkers, lawyers, state representatives, everybody is around the table. And basically, she's being thrown all this information that is, that is putting her into a very difficult position. And it is, it is projecting onto her the harsh reality, which is just and good and right, but still very difficult at the time, that if you don't get your act together that you're going to lose the parental rights of your baby daughter. And we're sitting across the table from this mom thinking, suddenly we've been thrust into a very broken story. 
This is not what we expected. This is certainly coming as a surprise. It's less now about us just taking a baby and bringing them into a good story. We've now been thrust into a story that is much deeper than a fairy tale and much darker than a romance. The reality of orphan care is that Jesus pulled us out of a broken story by first being pulled into one. And this is the expression, this is the demonstration of the gospel that orphan care ultimately exhibits, that he carried our brokenness, or perhaps he was carried by our brokenness to the cross to bring us a new reality. And in a very similar fashion, our our call to care for orphans is a call to suffer with them, to suffer for them, in order to save them, to feel the pain of their story so that they might know the hope of Jesus. It's impossible to hold a tragic story in your arms and not have your story be rewritten by it. It's impossible to hold a tragically neglected and abused and drug-addicted baby in your arms and have your comfortable story not be completely rewritten by it. When I was nine years old, I found out that the man I had grown up calling dad was in fact not my biological father. That I was actually uh, um, born with an entirely different name. And while it created a lot of questions for me, as it naturally would for anyone, it certainly answered one big question I'd had my entire life up to that point. Why do I look nothing like my dad, right? Well, now I knew. That answers that. Answers it in a way that I didn't expect, but it answers that. And then I began to learn more of the story and even still continue to learn about what the first few years of my life looked like. Being born into the home of a biological father who was abusive and neglecting. And ultimately, as my mom held me as a one-year-old in a drunken stupor, he looks at me and he says, one day you and I, son, we're going to go out drinking together. And my mom being caught in a very difficult position of needing to salvage a marriage but also protect two young kids, myself and my older sister, who's actually here today. And ultimately having to make the hard decision that it's, it's time for us to leave this chronically broken story. And then sometime after that, her meeting my dad, who's a quiet, humble lover of Jesus. And he would ultimately become a full-time pastor and still is and has been for over 30 years. This is the man who I've come to know as dad from a very early age. He changed my first, middle, and last name. Completely new identity, completely new trajectory. And as the story became more a part of who I was as I grew up, I found myself in different situations of life pausing and considering Where would I be right now had my dad not interceded on my behalf? Where would I be right now if I had continued to be raised in the context in which I was born into? Would I be on this mission trip right now? Would I be standing at the altar marrying this girl now? Would I be in the hospital watching my baby girls be born now? Would I be standing on the stage of the church that I planted in my living room and proclaiming the the beauty of Jesus to people right now? Would I be here with you right now? Over and over and over and over again, I pause and I consider in different circumstances of my life, where would I be right now had my dad not interjected himself into a broken story and helped begin to rewrite a new one with an entirely different trajectory on life? Translate that now, 30 years later, this little baby girl in our home playing princesses or, or, or school with our other three daughters on the beach in California on vacation this past summer, sleeping comfortably with a full belly or her favorite passy in her crib at night as I stand over her and I watch her uh, rest comfortably and I think, 
Where would she be right now? What would she be doing right now had this new story not been, begun to be rewritten in her life? The reality of orphan care is that we interject ourselves into very broken stories and we begin to rewrite a new one through the grace of Jesus. And it begins to unfold in such a way that we, begin, we have the opportunity to stop and consider where would we be right now had we not And then it compels us on several deep levels to consider our own adoption through the person of Jesus and and the work of God on our behalf. Have you ever paused and considered in your own life, where would I be right now had Jesus not interceded into my story? How many of us in this room right now could say, you know what, I probably wouldn't be in this room. Had Jesus not interjected himself into my broken story and begun to rewrite a new one with an entirely new trajectory, where would I be right now had he not completely changed my identity and set me on a new path? See, the story of the gospel is this multi-generational story of hope, that it breaks past cycles, it forms new realities in the present, and it sets us on a new trajectory of hope for all of eternity. And just like the gospel, orphan care and adoption is this multi-generational story of love that ultimately intercedes on behalf of and breaks past generational cycles, forms new realities now that allows a baby to sleep with a full belly in her favorite passy in the home of three other big sisters who love her dearly and sets her on a new trajectory of life that causes us to pause and consider where would she be right now? Where would I be? Right now, where would my sister, where would all of us be right now had God not? We must be willing to lose so that the child may gain. We must be willing for our story to be interrupted by a broken one. Number three, we must be willing to let our obedience lead us into obscurity. This is a hard one in the current evangelical culture of orphan care. Orphan care is the hot thing, right? It's the missional, radical, sexy thing right now, okay? You're cool if you've got an orphan in your family. It's not an orphan anymore. That's the cool thing right now. We've got to be very careful that our motivation and the disposition of our hearts is in line with the heart of God. The consistent message throughout the New Testament is don't use your acts of righteousness as a means of self-promotion. When you give, don't let your other hand know what you're giving, right? When you pray, go into a closet. Don't stand on the street corner. When you fast, don't walk around and talk about how hungry and spiritual you are, right? Just do these things quietly and privately. Not to build your own platform, but to platform the work of Jesus. And in a very similar fashion, caring for the abused and neglected kids in our world is a big deal. It expresses the big heart of God for the orphan. It expresses the big heart of God to see those who are spiritually orphaned be ransomed back and adopted back into the family of God. It is every day that we are stopped and we are asked about this this different little girl in our family who's got different hair. Our three-year-old says, Marley's hair grows up and our hair grows down. Like, yeah, that's right. That's how it's always gonna be. But we stick out. We live in the white Mecca of Houston, okay? Our family looks different now. Every day we're stopped with the opportunity to express the big heart of God for orphan care, the big heart of God to rescue and redeem those who are orphaned in their sin. But the reality of orphan care, as big of a deal as it is, is that it primarily expresses itself in very small, menial 
obscure ways. The rude reality of orphan care is that it's filled with paperwork that nobody is sitting over your shoulder clapping you and applauding you as you fill out the applications. It's just menial and obscure. It's filled with 3 a.m. feedings. It's filled with changing diapers. It's filled with doctor's visits and and parent visits and court hearings and just this uh, cumbersome process. And the harsh reality of orphan care is that while it's a big deal, it primarily expresses itself in very small, obscure, menial ways. And there's not cheerleaders for that. Nobody is applauding you all the time. Most of the care that you will provide for orphans is going to go entirely unnoticed. We must be willing for our obedience to lead us into obscurity. We must be willing to allow the grandness of orphan care to not be measured by any public fame it might produce for us, but to ultimately be measured by the private faithfulness that it requires of us. And to ultimately be sustained by the motivation of Jesus towards us in the gospel. That even when it gets difficult, I stay faithful to the process. Number four. We must be willing to lose so that the child may gain. We must be willing for our story to be interrupted by a broken one. We must be willing for our obedience to lead us into obscurity. And number four, we must be willing to stand for justice at all costs. It was trial day almost a year after we brought this baby girl into our home. The inevitable downfall that was coming on the biological mom was that she was going to lose her rights. It was right, it was just, it was good, there was a good decision from the court, didn't make it easy for her. The first time that we ever saw the biological father who'd been incarcerated the entire process and still is for several years to come was in the courtroom that day. We heard him walk in before we saw him. He was bound in shackles wearing an orange jumpsuit and they ushered him to the front of the courtroom where he was surrounded by security officers. And immediately as we made eye contact with him and saw his face, we were drawn to him. He, was, he had an endearing face on him because it was a carbon copy of the face of this little girl that we'd grown to love over the last year. Paternity test aside, there was no doubt that he was her biological father. And so from a distance, we were, we were drawn to him. He seems like a nice guy. He's sweet. He's, this might sound strange. He's, kind, he's borderline cute because he's got her face, right? Like not in a weird way, but he seems like a nice guy, right? And we thought the whole time that we were going to be just silent spectators during this trial. But instead, they bring us up in front of the judge, in front of the bench, and they, bring, they usher the father up there. And as we get closer to him, I, we realize this is not a nice guy just emanates anger and brokenness and hatred from him, especially with some of the looks that he gave us. And the judge begins to bring down the full weight of the force of the law on him, and essentially through a a litany of pieces of evidence, demonstrates to the court that he's unfit as a father, and he has no capacity to raise a baby girl, especially with a nine-year jail sentence, and his rights are terminated, or threatened to be terminated. Then the judge ushers me before the bench, And while I thought I'd be a silent spectator, suddenly I'm one of the key players in this whole ordeal. And he begins to ask me a series of questions. Are you the foster dad? Yes, sir, I am. Do you love this baby as if she were your own daughter? Absolutely, from the first day that we saw her. And then he pauses and he looks at his notes. And I realize in this moment that something significant was about to happen. And he looks up at me and he says, 
Do you believe it's in the best interest of this child for the father's rights to be terminated? Now, mind you, he's standing three feet behind me, a hardened criminal. He spent half of his life in prison, shackled in an orange jumpsuit and handcuffs, and there's security guards around him. And the judge is asking me, do you believe it's in the best interest of the child for him to lose? And so, of course, I pause. I look over my shoulder like, you got him, guys? Like, y'all ready for this? (laughs) And I sheepishly, maybe in tears, maybe wet myself a little bit, said, yes, sir, I do. Right? And look back, and he's cussing, he's angry, he's mad. And I realized in that moment, in, in, in this very surreal moment, it, it almost felt like there was this 15-minute break in reality where God was just speaking into me, saying, does this remind you of anything? Does this remind you of, of this idea and this imagery in Scripture that, that Jesus is your advocate? And he stands before the judge, and he, he testifies on your behalf. And when the judge says, Jesus, do you believe it's in the best interest of Jason for him to be set free from his past and to be adopted into the family of God? Do you believe it's in the best interest of Jason for the enemy's rights to be terminated? Jesus advocates for you. Now let me be clear. The enemy is not the biological father. The enemy is not the biological mother. The enemy in orphan care is not the biological parents. It's Satan who steals and kills and destroys families. The hero in orphan care is not us. It is not the adoptive families. The hero is Jesus who who rescues and redeems and saves and makes all things new. The reality of orphan care is that the enemy is not biological parents. It is Satan. The hero is not us. It is Jesus. And so therefore it is spiritual warfare at its finest. And it's going to demand that we be willing to stand where Jesus would stand, advocate for what Jesus would advocate for, even if it's difficult because it's going to be. By nature, it is spiritual warfare. First John says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. Here's what this means, is that he advocates for us, he speaks for us, he stood before the judge and made us his own, and the gospel expects and albeit demands that we would stand in the same places that Jesus was willing to stand. Orphan care is not romantic, it is spiritual warfare. It is seeking justice in the midst of severe brokenness. And the question for us this morning is, we must be willing to stand in the battle for these kids because who else will? Who else will stand and endure the spiritual battle for the souls and the futures of these kids? And so as we close, in the end, if you count the cost of orphan care, that we must be willing to lose. We must be willing for our story to be interrupted. We must be willing to be obscure and anonymous. And we must be willing to stand for justice in the midst of an extreme spiritual battle. When we count all the costs of orphan care, when we count all the costs of orphan care, the child always ends up more valuable. You might spend $30,000 adopting a child from overseas. That child is worth more than the $30,000. You might spend a year and a half or two years caught up in the CPS system fostering a child. That child is worth the two years of inconvenience. We count all the costs of orphan care. The kids are always more valuable. The beautiful thing about orphan care is that as we pursue the rescuing of children, as we pursue rescuing kids, we find that in the end, while we may rescue a kid, we are ultimately rescued by one. While we may, in the end, adopt a child, we, in the end, are adopted by one. 
I look at our family and at our new baby girl, and I often wonder, are we adopting her or has she adopted us? Are we changing her or is she really just changing us? We're writing this new story between the lines of an old one in this multi-generational story of hope. And the beautiful thing about caring for orphans is this, is that you begin to see the love of Jesus towards you and your love towards them. And you become rescued all over again by your story of redemption. As you consider, where would this child be? Had we not interceded on their behalf, fought for justice for them, where would they be? We're forced and compelled to consider In light of my adoption through the work of Jesus, where would I be? And over 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 again, while you may be rescuing the life of a child, that child is ultimately rescuing you. And you're being renewed daily with this refreshing spirit and perspective of the radical links and the extreme cost that Jesus went to to make you his own. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.